Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast. I'm Rick. I'm Julia. And today we are watching 1981's Allison's Birthday, directed by Ian Coughlin, produced by David Hennay and David Hennings, written by Ian Coughlin, and starring Joanne Samuel, which I will admit, that fact is the only reason we're watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a uh, genre departure for me. I'm really not into horror thriller type movies Mm -hmm. so yeah that's the only reason i'm watching this movie yep so it's not what i would necessarily call a big budget movie it only had a budget of about three hundred thousand dollars and the only version that we could really find was on youtube now i know we didn't necessarily have the the best luck on youtube last week but you know it's the easiest way to find the movie (laughs) i mean that's i'm at the end of my rope here as far as trying to find some copies for these older genre movies that we're looking to do over hiatus. So sometimes you just got to go that route. So I'm not quite sure what to expect from this one. I mean, like you said, we don't usually watch horror, thriller, drama, whatever's normally. So yeah, we're just gonna dive into it. And yeah. hopefully I'm, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I'm hoping to enjoy it in some way. I mean, if if nothing else, we'll be getting more of Joanne Samuel. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. She was delightful as Jessie. I'm hoping she'll be enjoyable to watch in this. Yeah. Uh, as far as the trailer for this movie goes, I was always only able to find one that was about half a minute or a minute long. Nowhere near as expansive as the trailers I've been using these last couple of weeks. So the break is going to be even shorter than it usually is, but that just means we'll be able to jump right into it, I guess, sooner than we usually do. (laughs) So without further ado, let's get cracking. If there is a spirit in the room, please move the glass towards the yes. Like, I'm not disappointed by it, but at the same time, it's like... I'm not even really sure what to think about it. I mean, it wasn't a horror movie in the way that you normally think of horror movies. Or a thriller in the way you normally think of thrillers. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i just not sure what to make of it. I mean, I sat here and I watched the entire thing, and I'm like... Okay. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. I'm like, okay, that happened. Like, I was never frightened at any point. No, I was never frightened. There were times I was interested. Yeah, like there's an interesting mythology at work here. Yeah, and watching that unfold and watching Pete learn about it was satisfying in a way. Yeah, I do like that Pete as the protagonist of this movie. Because it's Allison's birthday, and yeah, she's the main character, but... 
as far as a protagonist is concerned, Pete is the he's, driving force. In yeah, this show. he's he's the one doing all the work. Yeah, but I like him going on logical progressions, going from okay, he's learning this, now he's learning this, and his progression was very interesting to watch. Yes, and he was he was appropriately concerned at the right points. Yeah. Like he the the night when he snuck in to take her away, like that was an appropriate action at the appropriate time. Like things were getting weird enough and he was like, No, where I'm gonna take you out of here now. Yeah. Um it's it kinda goes against the trope of people in, in horror movies pretending everything's okay until it's too late. Well they knew everything wasn't okay and they tried to do something about it. Like logically and calmly. Like everybody was calm through this entire movie. Yeah. Nobody was ever hysterical. The only time anybody got like like emotionally upset was in the very closing seconds of the movie. Yeah. When when Allison realized that she was now in this 104-year-old body. Yeah. That's but, the only time anyone really got upset. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like you you could say that no one was really like super suspicious. It's like she, she she never should have gone back to that house anyway. No! Like, no! Why did she go back? I mean... Like she believed... I'm not sure if she believed the warning that she received, but she remembered the warning. Yeah. And thought about it. Like, I think she had been thinking about it since it had happened. It's not like she had forgotten about it. And then all of a sudden realized, oh, it's my 19th birthday. Oh, by the way, I remember once getting a warning. Something and her that was, friend died yeah, as a result of that Yeah, something that was present warning. in yeah. her life since she was 16. Yeah. So I fault her for going back. Yeah, there there's some interesting decisions uh, and progressions in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Do you want to go through the plot? Yeah, let's go through the plot. Okay, so I have... Two different sources. I can either go through the Wikipedia plot summary that someone wrote out, or the one that's split up a bit more is the summary on ozmovies.com. Go with the ozmovies. Yeah. So we start off, there's a pre-credit sequence before the movie actually starts, and it shows 16-year-old Allison, and she is playing with like a Ouija board setup with her friend Chrissy and Maureen. And... I've got to say, this movie was filmed, I think, in 1979, and then it was released in 1981. It was filmed three years after they filmed Mad Max. Yes. And I don't know... She looks younger. What it is, but yeah, she Joanne looks... Joanne Samuels looks younger. A lot younger. It's the haircut, for yeah, one. That would do it. Haircut, probably makeup. Yeah. Wardrobe. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, she was in a schoolgirl's uniform. Yeah. So that automatically, like, de-ages you. I will say, uh, Joanne Samuel throughout this entire movie looks remarkably young. And I'm willing to bet it's, they probably aged up her makeup and haircut for Mad Max, aged down her hair and makeup, and her wardrobe for Allison's birthday. Yeah. Uh, but I found her really good in this movie. Oh yeah, her acting was excellent. Yeah. I think nobody's acting stood out to me as like disruptively bad. Right. I, I think everybody did a good job. I mean, for, for not being a big budget movie, yeah. everyone gave solid performances. Yes. But I especially liked Al Joanne Samuel as Allison. Yes. Just because she was so front and center for a large portion of this screen for a large portion of this movie and we got a lot of time with her character. Yes. I immediately, once we got 
past the credits and got into her her current day life, her 18-year-old life, I immediately, like, noticed and felt how much dialogue she had. Yeah. And how, like, within five minutes of the start of the movie, I'd heard her talk more than the entirety of Mad Max. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a little bit strange at first to hear her talk so much. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. So, they, we start, okay, so... Allison and her friends are doing a seance, and then stuff starts happening, and her friend is possessed, I guess, by the spirit of her dead father, who warns her that on her 19th birthday, she needs to be really concerned and stay away from them. Yeah, I... Using the word them makes it really difficult. But when has a Ouija board ever made anything convenient? You know, they're always vague and cryptic. So I guess that's par for the course. As I, yes, Ouija boards themselves are vague and cryptic. But like this spirit that I'm willing to bet it was her dead father. It was her father. Yeah, I think so. Um, But he could have said specifically, you know, hey, I'm your dead father. You know, he says, hey, I'm your father. But it's like, hey, you know... These people that you think are your aunt and uncle are not your aunt and uncle. They are a doomsday cult or something like that. The thing that I think prevented the possessing spirit from saying all this is because at one point the spirit says that Myrna is fighting him. Yes, he gets like interrupted and that's where, you know, the window breaks and the the bookcase comes down and kills Chrissy. Squashed by a bookcase. Yeah. Um... I also wonder if he had told her, if he had been able to tell her, hey, these people are not your family. They abducted you. They killed us. She was still 16. Yeah. What could she, I mean, she couldn't go on living with them like everything was okay. She would have run away. She would have gone to the cops. She would have done something and her life would have been, you know, turned upside down at such a young age when she was still a minor. Yeah. So... Maybe he didn't give her too much because he needed her to finish growing up in a, for the time being, safe environment Mm. where she was with a family who had means, that she got a good education, and she was, for the time being, safe. I gotta say, yes, parents are usually concerned about their children and making sure that they're well taken care of, but... If you are a dead parent and you are possessing the friend of your child to warn them about a cult that's going to, like, steal their body away... Yeah. I, for one, if I were in that situation, wouldn't be so concerned with, oh, honey, you need to stay with these crazy cult people until you're out of school just so you have a stable home life. (laughs) I'd be like... Oh, heck no. You need to get as far away from them and never go back. These people are not good. I guess good. so. I guess so. You know? I, that, makes some, that makes a lot more sense than I said, but just brainstorming. Like, I, I appreciate your sentiment, but at the same time, you know, Celtic well, demonic cult. <laughs> yeah. I, well, then he gave her the wrong message. Yeah. He, I guess In it, the one sentence message that he was able to, like, strongly get across and repeat... He sent her, he gave her the wrong message. He should have said something, you know, he should have started with, this is not your family, they killed us, get away. Yeah. Or Rather at least, than warning her about her 19th birthday. At least put her on the path of, like, like discovering more this. about the cult. Right, because it took Pete, like, half a day to figure out what happened. Yes, all Pete had to do was, was find his one occult-obsessed friend. Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, here is literally the book. On this particular demon cult. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost and Dad really dropped the ball. I, I, I think he did. I yeah. think he did. 
I mean... And even if... Even take all the cult stuff out of it. Even if the dead dad had said, these aren't your family, you need to figure, you need to research this. Pete did that in like half a day. Oh, yeah. Figured out that she was abducted and, and that the cult had killed her family. Like, it was really easy. Yeah. Yeah. So, ghost dad, yes, he dropped the ball. So, that's when Allison is 16. And then after the opening credits, we catch up with a now, like, 18... 11 months months and 26 days. Yeah, this is like four days away from her 19th birthday. And she's working in like a record shop. Yeah, I really like the the timestamps that they give us. Mm, Yeah. Um, It really... It drives home the ending of the movie in a very satisfying way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I really like the timestamps. So, yeah, okay. So she's working at a record store. Um, Her boss... Is an actress, I do not know her name, she's probably not even credited. So um, who is a character in Prisoner Subblock H. Yeah, this that we watch. Summary that I'm looking at, it lists a lot of actors' names. It does not list the names of her co-workers. But the tall woman yes. in the middle is gosh, I can't even remember her character. Caroline. The, oh, yeah, okay. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on Wiki on IMDB, I mean, so I'll pop up with her name in a few minutes. Okay, so this woman in the middle, who I guess is the boss of this record shop. She seemed to be. She plays Caroline in Prisoner Cell Block H, and there is a huge storyline all around Caroline and how she murdered her father because her father was going to shoot her mother in like a drunken rage or something like that. And then, so she got sent away because... They tried to cover up the murder because dumb decisions are dumb. And then she gets involved with a male guard and then that male guard wants to leave his wife. But then there's like the jealous husband and an army buddy. And long story short, the male guard's family gets blown up. It's this whole thing. Yep. It's It's this this whole whole thing. thing. (laughs) All around this one woman. Any luck finding? Not yet. It's a really, I mean, there's so many people in that. In that show that... And so many people play multiple characters. Caroline... Caroline Simpson. Oh, did you find her already? Is played by... Rosalind Spears. Okay. I just searched the character in the show name on oh. Google. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be smart about it. That's all right. But yeah, she, she stood out... Like a sore thumb. Yeah. And I her, gotta say... Her voice caught me first. The... Because honestly, the quality of the video, I could never have picked out her face. Yeah, so the YouTube page that we're watching this off of is 42nd Street Cult, which I guess they just uploaded a bunch of cult movies on there. But it, it has the look and feel of a movie that was pulled off of a VHS back in the 90s. Oh yeah, definitely. Very degraded type of thing. Yeah. Not, you know, most of the time... I was fine with that. Most of the time it didn't pull me out, but there was a few audio like glitches that did pull me out. Hmm. So warning to the listeners. Yes. Yeah. Actually probably already watched it. I say hopefully. In order to not be completely spoiled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully you've already watched it. So Allison leaves work and she goes to meet up with her boyfriend Pete, who is a radio DJ in the the city they work in. And then and then they like they go, go home. home to watch TV. Yeah. Because they're they, poor. And they're yeah, they, and... they make a point of saying that they're poor, so they go home to watch TV. Yeah. And uh, Allison gets a call from her aunt, Jennifer. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Who wants to talk about her upcoming birthday? 
Yep. So she is very adamant about Allison coming home for this 19th birthday. Yes. And Allison is very hesitant, can't get time off work, which that's like my first thought. Okay, so say in my world, it's Sunday. I have to go to work tomorrow. My birthday's on Wednesday. And my mother figure calls me and wants me to come home. I'm like, well, I can't. I have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. I have responsibilities. And I have a responsibility to my boss to ask for days off in advance. Yeah. I really don't understand why the Myrna cult is so adamant about her being there, like, in the days leading up. Because... I think it's for safety, to make sure that she is there... Because because their cult is so specific, it has to happen at the certain day, at the certain time. Yeah. So it's for safety. But like, couldn't they just say, hey, why don't you come up Tuesday night? Yeah. Or something like that. You know, after you're done after, with work, after on, work Tuesday, on Tuesday, drive up. That way, take Wednesday off. Exactly. One day instead of four. Yeah. Or three or however many it was. Yeah. I say, the, these ancient Celtic cults, they just are really insensitive to the demands of young people working in a retail environment. It's not easy to just up and take time off. No. So, I mean, there's, there's more negatives about them than there are positives. <laughs> but I mean, out of everything, like... Being a young person is hard enough without having to jump through hoops to make concessions for your cult family. <laughs> yes. Being a young person is hard enough without having to jump through hoops to make concessions for your actual normal family. Yeah. So she's obviously very reluctant to take all of this time off and go home. And then her aunt Jennifer is like, well, your uncle Dean is really sick. And yeah, she... She guilts her into it. And oh, yeah. As somebody who is very susceptible to family guilt, not that my family guilts me because I know that they're listening. They do not guilt me. I feel guilt a lot for my family on my own. I don't. <laughs> I know. I don't. That's one thing I really like about you. Yeah, I, I really um, know. So I, can, I really sympathize that once you, once she gets the sense that she should really be there, well, now she doesn't have a choice. She has yeah. to be there. That's that's exactly how I would feel. I do appreciate that Pete offers to go with her, though. I really, I cannot, I really, really like Pete. He's such a good guy. He is. And he really doesn't deserve what happens to him. No, and he's such <laughs> like a normal guy. Like, he's got a good, normal type job. Mm -hmm. And he's good to Allison. And very, like, not dramatic, not needy in any way. And even throughout the movie, jumping ahead a little bit, like, he is there for Allison. And when he's told to stay away, he's like, well, I'm going to do whatever Allison wants me to do. Yeah. If Allison wants me to come around tomorrow and pick her up, that's what I'm going to do. If Allison wants me to come to her party, that's what I'm going to do. So they're at home watching TV. She gets the phone call from the aunt and then she pretty much decides, okay, well, now I've got to go. And they drive up pretty much the next day. Yeah. That's and next Pete morning. has this like beach buggy rover thing that he yeah. drives around. I'm really not sure what kind of car it is. Um, it seems very creaky throughout the whole movie. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, nighttime sneaky driving. Yeah. Doesn't really seem like the best car for that. Okay. But it does seem like a great car for the area that they live. Right. They live in New South Wales, but we don't really get a sense of, like, where in New South Wales. Somewhere right. on the it's coast. a big state. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere on the coast, which still doesn't help a lot. Big coast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, their their climate is very warm and sunny, and it's I believe it's March... From a hint, a clue we get way down in the movie. I believe it's March. Yeah. Um, which, okay, so 
they are opposite us here in the States. So March. Autumn. So it's like our September. Yeah. Which is still pretty warm. Right. Plus they're closer to the equator than we are. Yeah. So so for their for their environment, it seems like a pretty great vehicle. Yeah. It's like a... There's no sides whatsoever. Barely has a top. Yeah. I thought it was a golf cart at first. <laughs> it did kind of look like a and golf And it's cart. funny. After they... So they... So they head out the next day. When they arrive at her house, they get out of the car and they they make kind of a deal about how uncomfortable the seats were. Yeah. And how like their back hurts and their butts hurt. And yeah, I appreciated that. This movie, this movie is, they kind of self-aware. Yeah. Like she, okay, so they're, so they're driving down the street that she lives on. And Allison says, it's that one there with the trees. Now there are trees Everywhere. everywhere everywhere there are trees and pete says something like trees i don't see any trees what trees <laughs> so <laughs> i appreciated that that like they call themselves out on dumb things yeah they're really good together they are they have a they seem to have a great relationship and and um just really like compatible and normal Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Pete drops Allison off at the house, and I thought it was odd that he's like, "Okay, cool, you hang out here. I'm gonna go." I think he's staying with but, his dad, or uh, something yeah, like I that. think he's. I think he went home too. But he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go check in with my parents. You check in with your aunt and uncle, and we'll, we'll catch up later." And so he leaves her alone for the first time in this house. And yeah, they're like, and everything's oh, normal. Like, yeah. there's nothing odd going on yet. Oh, we'll have lunch, and your room is exactly the way we left it. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to stretch my legs because I've been sitting down for the last several hours. Yeah. So she's hanging out in the backyard, and they okay. tell her not to go past the old stone wall. Okay, okay, okay. I This was my first, like, problem with the movie. I think I have the same exact problem that you have. <laughs> Where I grew up, we had a backyard. Normal-sized backyard. Nothing particularly interesting about it. It was just a backyard. But then behind our backyard was a woods. I, I don't really know like how big it was. It's smaller now because of development. But I mean, that was the first place we went. When we went outside to play, we didn't play in our own yard. We never played in our own yard. We went out to the woods to play. Yep. And explored that entire woods. And uh, I have a hard time believing that growing up in that house, she never explored the woods behind her house. Yeah, she grew up in this house from right. the time that she was an infant to the time that she was, like, going away to school. Yeah. And you can't tell me in all of those years that she never went through that old stone yeah. wall. Oh my gosh, if I found a wall with a door in it, I would flip out with excitement. Oh, like two seconds. Not yeah, even I would be through that door so fast. Like... That level of mystery yeah, and adventure, it's, it's so like that is a kid's way too dream. Yes. Kid's dream. So she immediately goes through the old stone wall. Yeah. Now, I wonder, how many times have they told her not to go through the door? Not to go past the wall, I mean. Oh, probably hundreds of times. Yeah, so well, I just don't get why she never did it before. But on this occasion, she goes through it. Yeah, so she goes through, and they gave her some dumb excuse, like there's creepy crawlies and snakes and things like that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there are creepy crawlies and snakes all over that continent. Like, you can't get away from them. Like, you can't tell me that there are going to be worse snakes and creepy crawlies there. Okay, in their defense, it was pretty overgrown. Yeah. Like, when she first goes through the door, she really kind of has to fight through some undergrowth and bushes and trees and stuff. She can't see where she's going. Mm -hmm. It's not like she can, from the sense that I got, 
she couldn't even tell really that there was a clearing up ahead. So I kind of, it wasn't a bad warning that they gave her. Yeah. It was probably accurate. Allison stumbles through this grown over area and eventually finds herself in this old Stonehenge circle thing. And it's funny that I would say Stonehenge because that's exactly how she describes it to her uncle when she starts asking him about it. Like, hey, there's this weird old mini Stonehenge. And he gives her some BS story about the person who owned the house before them being an astronomer and having yeah. like a scale model of Stonehenge built. And I'm like... Oh, I thought that was a good story. I don't know. I I'm, I don't know much about the astronomy-related legends of Stonehenge, but I feel like for those people that believe that type of stuff, if you're measuring the movement of stars and things like that, can you really scale something like that down? Without uh, you yourself being scaled down? Well, um... I feel like in order for the angles to work, well, it needs to be the same degrees, size. Degrees are degrees. Yeah. Like, if you have a, um, a protractor, you know, that's two feet across and a protractor that's six inches, the degrees are going to be the same. Yeah. Like, a degree is a degree. So... So, I think if that's how it's being used then it's okay that it's scaled as long as it's scaled properly. Yeah, I mean, if you have, like, proper Stonehenge which is pretty big, I guess. And you're standing in the middle of it and you're using like a position in Stonehenge yeah. to look and see something at a basic angle. If you scale that down, like you can't just stand in the circle. Suddenly you have to like crouch down or something like that to like get the same angle. I feel like there's yeah, a lot height. going on there. Yeah, height I think does matter. I I understand why Allison accepts that reasoning so easily. Right. Because she's not a nitpicker like I am. Right. And Stonehenge is, is very mysterious. We don't know what it was used for exactly. Exactly. You know, astronomy and, you know, a calendar, those are just theories. And they may be very strong theories, but we don't know for 100% sure what Stonehenge was used for. Yeah. So if you give, you know, just kind of a generic reason, like her uncle did, it's very believable. Yeah. I mean, you don't know. I mean, it could have been like... A holding area for some sort of weird time capsule prison thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You never know. Maybe there's a mini one in Australia. <laughs> Maybe. So Allison is kind of freaked out by this and she gets home. And then like that night she starts having these weird dreams. Which we don't really get... We get like one instance where we actually yeah. get to see the dream. And it's like a bunch of cultists around the Stonehenge thing. And this lady being possessed by a, a demon named Myrna. Yeah. And sometimes the woman has Allison's face and sometimes she doesn't. Yeah. So that's like the thing that really freaks her out. Yeah. And so when Pete shows up the next day, they go out to the beach and she's telling him like all of this stuff. Yeah. I appreciate that she, she didn't hold back because she thought she would sound weird. Yeah. She told him what happened. She told him what she saw. She told him about what happened to her as a child, as a teenager. You know, there's so many instances in all sorts of movies where if people had just shared information, like like the, exactly like the last movie we watched, if Toad had just shared the information that he had, things would have ended up different. Yeah. Well, Allison did. She shared everything she knew with Pete and that made a big difference. Yeah. I mean, Pete's ability to help her. Yeah. I mean, initially, Pete was like, that sounds pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah, I know. And she's that, like, that's what I saw. That's what happened. That's like, all I can say. They both agree that all of this supernatural type stuff is pretty far out. But at least that knowledge is there. So that way, when things start really getting weird, Pete's right. able to act on that. Yeah. 
So they go from the beach back to his dad's house, mm-hmm. and they're hanging out there. Specifically and, because she does not want to go home. Yeah. She specifically says, I don't want to go home. Where can we go? Yeah, because it's going to rain, so they don't want to stay they at the beach to, when it's have, raining. Yeah. But they're sitting at the house, and as we're sitting here watching it, you were watching, and you saw a pretty blatant <sighs> parallel. Yes. Okay, well, so there's three parallels up to this point between Allison and Jesse. The first being the walk through the woods. In Allison's birthday, it's pretty short from the wall to the mini Stonehenge. At Stonehenge, she gets freaked out by some noises, and she has she panics and runs back through the woods. I mean, it, you can hardly even call it through the woods. It's just through the... Overgrowth. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, in Mad Max, down to the beach and back, where she gets freaked out by some noises and panics a bit and runs back. The second one was... Her lying on the beach? Because that's two very similar things that happened between the two movies. Yeah. Okay, so the second one was um, heading out to the beach. Mm -hmm. And the third one was in Jesse's... I I keep messing up between Jesse and Allison. I'm having a hard time calling her Allison. Anyways... (laughs) In Allison's birthday, when they go back to his house after the beach, they're laying on the couch in exactly the same position as Max and Jesse were laying by the side of the river during their trip. Yeah. Having the same conversation. Yeah. (laughs) About love and feelings. Except in Allison's birthday, it was so much simpler because she said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I love you. And he's like, and he I says, love you too. I love you too. And, and they kiss. So easy. And it was so easy and because then they-, <laughs> they both actually say what they feel. Yeah. As opposed to Mad Max, where Jesse doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And Max is trying with all his might to figure out how to tell her that he loves her. And yeah. he never does. Yeah, I think Pete and Allison, like, they have they've a, got a good thing going. They do. They seem to have a pretty healthy relationship. And I got a pretty big kick out of her, like, you know, are you sure your dad's not going to walk in on us? And he's like, oh, no, my dad's away at a thing. And she's like, yeah, I want to meet him, but I don't want to meet him, you know, horizontally. Right. <laughs> I like how, like, open they were about this is what she wants, right? Now, she's made it very clear that she wants to have sex right now, but she wants to make sure that they're not going to walk, get walked in on. Yeah. Um, again, it's a really healthy relationship where it's something that they talk about. Yeah. I, I found that whole thing a little funny and I looked at you and I said, well, I hope this whole demonic possession thing, cause we had put it together. Oh yeah. Yeah. So quickly. We already knew what was going to happen. So I said, I hope this dem- demonic possession thing doesn't require a virgin vessel. Yeah. <laughs> because then they would be up a creek without a paddle. Right. I got the sense that they might live together. Do you think they live together? Oh, I think they do. Yeah. Okay. In whatever city they lived in, I'm pretty sure they lived together. Okay. So, at the end of the night, Pete brings Allison back, and as he's walking back to his car, he gets intercepted by Uncle Dean. Yes. Who is like, hey, you know, we haven't seen Allison in a long time, so maybe you should, you know, stay away for the next few days. Come back after Wednesday. Right. After Wednesday. Made a very, like, pointed comment. And so Pete's like, well... If Allison wants to see me, I'm going to be here so she can see me. Like, Yeah. And they like go back and forth. It's all what Allison wants, which I really like. Yeah. It, they go back and forth between him and the uncle, where the uncle's like, stay away. And Pete's like, I'm here for Allison. I'm going to do what Allison wants. Like, he's very devoted to her. Yes. As a person. Whereas the uncle is 
concerned with her as a commodity. Absolutely. Now, if I remember correctly, this is the first time that either the aunt or uncle have presented themselves as ominous. Yeah, this is pretty much... This is a turning point. This is pretty much the first big red flag for people that weren't like 100% sure that yeah. Allison was going to get possessed by a demon at this point. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think most of my prior knowledge came from like trailers and reading up on the movie for research and things like that. But yeah, this is the first point where Pete is really like something weird is going on. Right. Because as soon as... They got there, you know, Allison started telling him about having weird dreams and her aunt's making her drink all of these weird tonics and whatnot. Yeah. It's just, it's off. And so the next day when Pete shows up to see her, I think this is like Tuesday. I think so. Her aunt and uncle just say, oh, well, you know, she's asleep and she's not going to come down. He's like, okay, well, I'll just leave then. But all of a sudden Allison shows up on the stairs and collapses into Pete's arms. Yeah. Like, so there's they, something really yeah. weird going on. So I we should we should mention that the aunt, Jennifer, is always making Jesse drink things. Yeah. Like health tonics. Like most of the time it looks like it's just a cup of coffee. Um, but and Allison makes a comment about how this is it, this is the way it's always been. Yeah. It's nothing that her more. that her aunt is kind of a health nut and is always making her drink these concoctions. So do you think she's been drugged in, oh, at some level her entire life? Absolutely. Because it's very clear that she's being drugged now. And, I mean, we watched it happen. It was very clear when it was happening. Yeah. They had an argument the night before about spending too much time with Pete. And the aunt was like, all right, let's stop arguing. Drink your tonic and go to bed. Yeah. Like, it was incredibly obviously obvious that she was being drugged. So, I think it's later that night... Pete says, okay, well, something is really wrong. I need to get Allison out of that house. And so he breaks into the house. <laughs> no, you missed the part um, where she, co- so she collapses. Yeah, okay. And the doctor comes by. Oh, okay. And he says it's like nervous exhaustion, which isn't anything. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. It's it's a 70s thing. Yeah. It's a 70s old school doctor. Who, it's nothing. I don't I don't know what that means. So, so they've set it up so that the aunt and uncle have a reason to keep Pete away from Allison and to keep Allison subdued and in bed. Yeah. That's what this was really all about, is to separate them and keep Allison in place. Yeah. Oh, so that night... Another thing that I forgot. Yes. The, the night before she collapses and whatnot, is she's woken up by That's the right. old lady in the wheelchair. The old lady in the wheelchair forgot about her and she's like... The whole point. Isabel Thorne. Isabel Thorne. Who's like 104 years old. She's 103, and that's important. Oh, okay. Yeah. 103 and however many. And 26 days. Yeah. So Allison is sleeping one night, and then like this wheelchair, we see this wheelchair roll into the room, and suddenly Allison is woken up by this really old lady. Yeah. And it's super startling, and her aunt and uncle just sweep it under the rug, be like, oh, this is your, your great-grandmother, and she's visiting from England. And She came here special to see you for your birthday. Ugh. Okay, I've never... I just... I mean, I guess some families are, are that close, and that, like, into birthdays and into family, but, like, I... I'm such a bad family member. <laughs> I am, too. Like, I just don't... I would never... And I would never expect... Such an old family member to make the trip to see me. 
Yeah. And if I were 103 years old, I would never make the trip halfway across the world to see a family member. Like, I might be okay with, like, summoning them to my bedside, saying, I'm 103, and I've never seen you, and you're my great-granddaughter. Um, come to England and see me before I die. Yeah. Um, do you think she was always there? Since she became an old woman considering that, that needed to be cared for. Considering that Isabel Thorne is, like, the vessel for their demonic possession right. leader, Why she probably we... gets shuffled around the different cult members. So you think they all have a blue bedroom? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I have no doubt in my mind. So, the aunt and uncle, I think they're actually very good. I know you don't. I think they're very good at explaining away these odd things. Yeah. I mean, they, they do a perfectly good job of coming up with explanations. I just, I don't believe them as far as I can throw them. Oh, no, certainly not. And I'm not sure that Allison really does either. She wants to because she loves them. They're her parents. Yeah, for all intents they and purposes, her, they are her family. And they raised her well. She was she was safe and cared for. Well balanced. Well, yeah. I mean, she seems like a really good, nice person. And they had a big part in that. So she has, generally speaking, she has no reason to disbelieve them. Um, she does, I think it's when she's, she's talking about them to Pete back on the beach. She says something like, she doesn't know what it is, but she feels funny about the house. Yeah. She supposes that it was always that way. She just never saw it before. Like, she was just too, she was young, and these were her parents, and this was her home. So she didn't notice that it felt weird. But yeah. now that she's been separated from it for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, coming back to it, she feels it now. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think she wants to believe them, but she doesn't quite. No. So Pete takes it upon himself to get her out of that situation. Which, and now we come to him breaking, breaking into their into house. The house. This is one of my favorite parts because he realized that there's a problem and is like, okay, I'm going to investigate it and see her because they won't let me see her. They won't let me talk to her. And he, he does what he needs to do. I really like that. So he breaks into the house and he... He's got this big old flashlight that he just drapes a cloth over so that way it doesn't like... I liked that too. It was... Make a harsh light. It's it was enough smart. light for him to sneak around with. It was, yeah, just enough light for him, but not to freak anybody else out. Yeah. And he's able to make it up into her room and and touch base with her. And then he does this weird thing where he's like, I'm going to look around and I'm going to investigate. And that's where he discovers like a closet full of medieval type stuff. And then he discovers... Um, Isabel Thorne in the, the yes. blue room that she's kept in. sleeping with her eyes open. <sighs> I don't know is... if she's sleeping. I think she's just staring at him. But really? she didn't, like, react. Yeah, that's, what, that's why I thought she was sleeping. Yeah, but after seeing the closet full of weird stuff and Isabel in her room, he's like, okay, we gotta get you the heck out of here. Yep. And so they pack up a bunch of her stuff and make it downstairs, and they are midway through the living room to get out. And they're then, like, like so close to resolving the whole thing by getting out of the house. Yeah. And they get surrounded by the doctor and the aunt and the uncle, and they're like, "No, you can't leave." And Pete's like, "Well, yeah, she can because she's an adult, and you can't keep her against her will." And they're like, "Okay, good point." So they <laughs> they step aside to let them leave, and then the doctor goes full on Doctor Spock. Oh, and yeah, like totally. nerve pinches Pete and he collapses like a ton of bricks. Yes. 
And I don't know what they do to Allison, but she... But she's unconscious. I don't know what they did to her either. They probably did the same thing. Yeah, either the that or they, pitch. like, um, chloroformed her or something like that. Yeah. They seem to be into the use of drugs in various ways, so yeah. that's possible, too. So she collapses. They leave him downstairs, and the aunt and the uncle and the doctor bring Allison upstairs. And that's where, like, they inject her with something, and then the doctor, like, hypnotizes her. Yes. With, like, the weird little pendant hypnosis thing. So that way, when Pete comes to, suddenly there are police there, and the aunt and uncle are like, hey, this guy was going to kidnap our, you know, niece. And they go upstairs to talk to Allison, and she's like, oh, yeah, he was going to he was gonna kidnap me, and he said he was going to kill me if I didn't go with him. And Pete cannot believe what he is hearing. He is flabbergasted. Yeah, but he picks up on it right away that, she, that something is wrong with her. Yeah. That she's been drugged. Or something. Like, he notices it right away, because she's obviously not normal. Yeah. And, of Lying... course, the, pe- the police don't believe him, because oh, no. they're taking the word of the aunt and uncle right. over the boyfriend, because, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, in any normal situation, that's the reasonable thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the police did, yeah, they, they did what they were supposed to do. Because at the end of the they day, he did testimony from everybody, house. and they even said, like, we, the girl said that he, she was being kidnapped. We're going to believe her. So kudos to them. Yeah. She said what happened, so they believed her, and they arrested him. That's how it's supposed to work. So Pete gets hauled off to jail. Allison stays put in the house. Yeah. And then the next morning, Pete's dad bails him out. Yes. And his dad's like, "You want to go back to the house?" And Pete's like, "No, I got to do some. I got to do some research or something yeah. like that." And Dad was like, "Okay, just don't run off. I have quite a bit of investment in you." <laughs> because he paid bail. He paid bail. <laughs> So it's at this point that Allison kind of fades into the background because this next portion of the movie is all about Pete and his investigation. Yes. And he is being shadowed the entire time by this dude in a blue car. Yes. That's following him around. In a blue shirt, too. So I think his first stop is his friend Sally, who is the the occult researching friend. Yes. Who used to be, he, who probably had like a teenage Wiccan phase. I think so. That kind of seems, and she kind of left it behind when it felt too serious, but she still... Now she's gone commercial and she does astrology charts and things like that. Yeah. But he goes and he's like, hey, here's all of the things that I know. What does this sound like? Yeah. And she's like, oh, that sounds... (sighs) She pulls a book off the shelf and like everything he needs to know is in this book. Yes. Which is just, it's classic. I mean, you go to the person who knows the field that you need to know about, and they provide you with all your information. Mm-hmm. You know? It's classic. And that's what she was there for. She did a good job at it, so I'm okay with it. So from there, he wants to find out more about Allison's personal history. Yeah, because the two things he finds out from Sally is that the the color of the cult is blue and then that 19 the number is yeah is like their ritual number yes and so the fact that Allison is turning 19 and they're celebrating her birthday at seven o'clock which is, is the, the 19th, 19th hour, hour it's all very important and so he like goes to the library and looks up her birth records and it turns out Allison was a stolen baby yes and her parents never found her and they were killed in a car accident which is Super suspicious. So when the ghost came to her at 16, he was like, I'm not just your father ghost. I'm your murdered father ghost. All, you know, Hamlet style. Yeah. 
He could have given her so much more information. I mean, just... Just pointing her in the right direction. Like, I mean, we watch Pete put it all together. Yeah. He's got one book, one newspaper book. He flips through maybe 20 pages and finds all of the information that he needs to know to piece it together. When he finds the announcement of her birth in the newspaper, Uh, he circles it with a pencil. That is not his book. No. That book belongs to the library and he's writing in it. That yes. is rude. Yes. That is rude and messy and irresponsible, and I do not approve. I don't think the librarian would approve <laughs> either. <laughs> but anyway. So then he he goes from the library to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He wants to, like, just confirm it again. Just more confirmation. But the nurse that he talks to won't tell him anything <clears> because <throat> HIPAA. I don't know if Australia has HIPAA, like the U.S. has HIPAA, but they I think probably it's... They probably modernly have some sort of equivalent yeah. about privacy of medical information. I don't know what the laws were back then, but thank you, nurse, for not giving him any information because you're not allowed. Yeah. So I, I really appreciated that. I mean, she eventually, like, gave him, like, yeah, vagaries. they... Yeah, they kind of go about it in a roundabout way. Yeah. Although I love her remark about you don't know how babies work. Yeah. He's like, well, she's got dark hair and hazel eyes. And the nurse is like, that's not going to help me with baby records. Babies are born with blue eyes. (laughs) Yeah. But he eventually pieces it together that the The, doctor... The seven o'clock was how he confirmed it. Yeah. Born exactly at seven o'clock. And she, and I think that was valid. I think the HIPAA laws that we have now, like if I were asked that question, I would feel, I think I would feel okay with just confirming that, yes, this baby that I'm holding the record of was born at seven o'clock. Yeah. But the doctor that came in, yeah. uh, you know, was there to look at Allison is the same doctor that stole her from the hospital. Yes. Yes, it is the same doctor. So the guy that's been tailing Pete this whole time calls back to the aunt and uncle's house and the doctor is there and he's like, oh, well, he knows too much. You need to kill him now. Yeah. I like how simple it was. There was no humming and hawing. He's like, all right, well, he knows too much. Kill him. So Pete comes out of the hospital and the guy that's been tailing him puts a note on his windshield. So Pete gets to the windshield and the note says something like, you know, stay away from Allison or, you know, it's going to be bad news. And so Pete jumps in his car and chases after the guy the blue that's car. been tailing him. Right. Now, the blue car, did you notice? He waited. There was oh, the, yeah. that speed bump. He, like, very took his time going over the speed bump to make sure that Pete had caught up to him mm-hmm. so that he could chase him to this specific spot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was incredibly obvious. It's a trap. This is it a was s- so... It's a trap. The second week in a row that we've had a trap laid in a graveyard. Yes. I don't know what it is with Australian movies and laying traps in graveyards, but well, I have I a little two point, tiny theory about two that. points on a chart make a line. That's all I'm saying. Did you notice the cemetery we go to here? Very similar looking to the cemetery we went to in Stone. Really? Well, I'm not saying they're the same cemetery. I'm saying that they were very overgrown. Oh. I'm wondering if. Australian societal tradition is different than American societal tradition where we take very good care of our cemeteries, generally speaking. You know, they get mowed on a regular basis. And they get, they like, they get, um... I feel like that's just... Like, they have teams of landscapers who work for cemeteries. Urban versus suburban or rural cemeteries. 
Rural and suburban cemeteries have a lot more space to them, so they're much easier to landscape. Urban cemeteries are much denser and probably not as easy to maintain. Well, there's a cemetery where I grew up in Connecticut, so I mean in New England there's tons. There's cemeteries everywhere. A lot of dead people, yeah. Yes, that was quite compact. I mean it was very large, but it was quite compact. And they had a team of landscapers. So I'm wondering if it's just a cultural difference. I don't know. I don't know. But Pete gets lured into this cemetery and he spends a couple of minutes just walking around until dudes in tuxedos. Tuxedo men, which I thought was wonderfully like quirky and intimidating. Yeah. They were all in tuxedos. And it starts with one guy in a tuxedo and then there's another guy with a pitchfork in a tuxedo and they kind of lure him to this open hole in the ground, which is very obviously a hole for Pete. Yes. And so the tuxedo men grab him and they've got him literally at the end of the pitchfork. And they're going to skewer him. He's going to kill him. I wondered if it was his end. Yeah. I really thought that he was going to die right now. Yeah, you thought he was going to get skewered and that was going to be the end Absolutely. Like, I was ready to cover my eyes. (laughs) But he does this ingenious thing where he says, oh, you know. I know all about The girl that was stolen was the wrong girl. She was born not at 7 p.m., she had the same name, but it was... Yeah, it was like a very similar last name. Yeah. Easy to mess to miss up. And so the dude with the pitchfork is like, do you have proof? And he's like, yeah, here in my pocket. So he pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and he goes to hand it to the tuxedo guy with the pitchfork. And he does this move where he like sidesteps the pitchfork and like disarms him and starts running. And it's, it's so great the way he's able to sidestep them. Very he, quick thinking. It is. I was impressed with... How he handled that. He knew how obsessed they were with 19. Yes. Where, like, if this baby wasn't born at 7 p.m., then all of these 19 years have been for naught. Yes. (laughs) And someone messing up the name of a baby, super easy to happen. Yep. So it makes sense that that would fool him, but... So he gets away. Turns out the piece of paper that he tempted them with... It was like the release papers from police or something like that. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was just police paperwork. Yeah. Okay, so he goes back to his dad's house. He's prepping the gun, and he calls Sally. Yeah, so his dad is a... some information. His dad is a competitive pistol target shooter, and so he borrows one of his dad's guns, and then he's like, Sally, is there anything else I need? And she's like, well, you'll need protection. He's like, well, I've got a gun. And she's like, no, you need, like, a consecrated cross. Yes. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. And so his next stop is a church. Yeah, he just stops at a church, goes in, steals cross off the wall. Okay, How stingy are priests with their consecrated crosses? I feel like if Pete walked in and be like, hey, there's a druidic cult that's going to possess my girlfriend. I need a consecrated cross. I'm... I don't feel like the priest would be like, no, get out, you get can't out of, have it. Get out of my church. I'm never letting go of my consecrated crosses. Right. They're special to I me. I imagine he would have given it. Be like, he probably would have thought that Pete was off his rocker, but it's just a cross. Like, how expensive are crosses? Right. Like... I mean, it depends on what it's made of. The one he took did look like it was made of metal, so take maybe like, a little more expensive. But take a couple of big pens, wood. tape them together, and right. then consecrate and then that. Con- He's a priest who can do that. The consecration is the important part. Yeah. Like, literally... It's like holy water. It, the water itself doesn't matter. It's the the consecration part that matters. Yeah. So, yeah, but he doesn't. The the priest catches him. Yeah, he just walks and he into just the church, darts out of the building, pulls the priest the cross gives off the chase, wall. and then that's it. Yeah. He jumps in his car and drives away. Yeah. So he's got his gun. He's got his cross, and he is speeding towards 
the aunt and uncle's house. Meanwhile, they're all... They're all getting ready. Getting ready for this uh They are... I gotta give thing. them credit. They are prepared. Yep. I think they drug her again, and then they hypnotize her. Yep, all fresh. And even, like, the nightgown she's wearing is not her normal nightgown. Yeah. It's, like, long, flowy robe with, like, a pretty neckline thing. Like, mm. lacy neckline. It's actually really pretty. So, Pete shows up at the house, and there's a couple of tuxedo guys out front. And so he, like drives at them with his car. It's a really yes. dark scene. I can't really see what's going on. Yeah, I think he just drives at them with the car and then books it into the house. So he goes up to her room first. She's not there. He goes into the old lady's room. She's not there. And he's like, oh no, they're gone. And then he remembers back to the beach scene where Allison told him about the stone circle. And so he goes back into the hallway tuxedo guys show up and he books it back into the room and ends up going out the window. And this is the blue room, by the way. Yeah. Which we've learned from Sally that blue is their color. Yeah. So the room is a solid painted blue with just a bed. So as all of this is happening, it's ticking closer and closer to seven o'clock. And the druids are doing their yep, ritual. They've got going. people lined up and they're yep. chanting and there's goblet sipping. And eventually Pete makes it to the circle. Yes. He's got his gun and he's got his cross and he's like, everybody get back, everybody right. get back. And it looks like they haven't quite finished the ritual. Yeah. But... So Allison is like, throw the cross at them. <laughs> Which yeah. Is, why not? So, so he, he does. does that, grabs her, and then they run. But as they get back to the yard, he trips and he like twists his ankle or something like that. And yeah. So he hands her the gun and says, you've got to get away from them. Take this and run. And she's like, you shouldn't have thrown the cross away. Otherwise, I'd still be Allison. Yeah. And then she shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> So, the bad guys win! Yep, the bad guys win. Not what I was expecting. Nope, 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 nope. There's an additional scene at the end with the old lady up in the blue room and yep. the aunt and uncle and the doctor are there and the old lady wakes up and she's like, oh, I must have passed out again. Is it time for the party yet? Because Allison is in that old lady body. Right. And they're like, they're like, no, we canceled the party because you're not feeling well. And she's like, oh, well, you know, that's all right. I'll just be going home tomorrow anyway. And they're like, no, dear, you're going to stay here with us. And then she notices that she's in an old lady body and, and her young body is walking into the room. And she's like, ah! yeah. And then there's a timestamp. Allison, one, uh, 104 years old. Yeah. And that's how they and end the movie. And that's the end of the movie. So. So the bad yeah. guys win. Bad guys win. Pete's dead. Pete is dead. And oh, they, there's a police scene after that. They do a little interview with the police where yeah. it's like, well, I think that's before the old lady scene, but they do a little interview with the police yeah. where like he comes back and they're like, yeah, he was going to kidnap her again and then he fell on his gun and yeah. they explain so they, it away they that way. they clean that all up pretty neatly yeah. with the police and a dead man on their property and, yeah. and stuff. So They got to explain the dead body somehow. Right. And that, like you said, that's, that's, that's it. where it ends up. So after 219 reviews... IMDb gives Allison's birthday a 5.0 out of 10, which is pretty middle of the road. Yeah, it is pretty middle of the road, which is really kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it like stood out to me as anything remarkable. Like it is what it is. No, I mean, it's not even a remarkable horror movie. Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't looking forward to it very much because I don't like horror movies. Yeah. This wasn't not a horror movie. Like, I guess... It was an occult movie. It was like an occult thriller. Yes. And I think if that's, I think that's the genre that they should have aimed for. Yeah. Occult thriller. And then added more thrills. Yeah. 
It wasn't thrilling. <laughs> Not really. There was no tension. I think if they had just thrown in some more tension and some more thrill, the storyline itself was good. Yeah. I almost feel like the, the way people scene, behaved was good. The scene when she was 16, her getting that warning, I feel like it would be more tense if they took that scene out. Like, if she wasn't given a warning and she didn't know what was going on, but we knew what was going on. Right. I think they needed to they needed to provide that information to us somehow. So if they took that scene out and didn't provide that information to like, Allison... Show, show the aunt and uncle being creepier sooner, but only when she's not around. Right. That way we're like, oh no, what's going on? What's right. going on? Like, yeah, I think we should have known about the danger before she did, but we knew about it at the same pace that she did. Because she was, like, quick. She's like, no, something's not right here. I don't like this. Yeah. She was pretty quick. It's very not normal protagonist for, like, a horror movie where they tend to be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> she was She was very not dumb. She picked up on things, both her and Pete, which made for an enjoyable movie, watching people be not dumb. But there's a reason that horror movies use that mechanic of their pro- protagonist being dumb. Yeah. Is that it draws things out and makes things more tense. We know things that the protagonist doesn't. We know that what they're doing, you know, is stupid. We know they shouldn't go down into the basement, but they don't know they shouldn't go down into the basement. Yeah. So that's what makes it thrilling. You really get that. So is there anything in this movie that sticks out to you as your favorite part? Oh, well, there were plenty of parts that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I liked, um, I liked Allison and Pete's relationship. Mm-hmm the best. I think that was my favorite thing. The way they interacted together. Um, the way that even the short, there's just a few days that we saw of their lives, their relationship changed. You know, it got more serious. He put forth a great amount of effort into her and her happiness and safety. Even, even without like the occult stuff, like he took her home and, and was there for whatever she wanted. Yeah. Like, he was there for her the whole time. And that was, that was that was really cool. Yeah. I think my favorite part of this movie was his investigation because he was very smart about it. Yeah. And it showed his capability of putting two and two together and not getting something crazy. Right. Like he was very intelligent. Yes. And he also didn't make huge leaps. Mm-hmm. There was a logical progression to the information that he saw and that we saw too. He wasn't making these gigantic leaps that you sometimes see in investigations. Yeah. Portrayed in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> did anything stand out to you as something you did not like? I didn't like, and this isn't this isn't a criticism of the movie. It was appropriate for the movie. It's just something I, I don't like. Is when you are trying to get away and you can't. Things keep getting in your way. Mm-hmm. So when she was when Pete was trying to get her out of the house. He kept coming against roadblocks. And that's very, like, it's frustrating. And it, 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 like, makes my heart heavy when, you know, they know that something is wrong and they're trying to do something about it, but they can't. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. But that's part of a horror movie. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a trope of the... Right, it's part of the movie and it makes sense within the movie. I just didn't like it. I say that's why you don't watch the genre a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my dislike for this movie kind of stems from a more technical aspect of it. Uh, I don't really appreciate that it's not easier to find. That 
we kind of had to resort to a low quality version. Yeah. That was really dark at times, was really unfocused at times. Like the quality of the video that we were able to find, like it just, it made it hard to really get into it because I was constantly noticing how old the cut was and whatnot. I'm pretty sure a quality VHS copy of this probably exists somewhere, maybe even a DVD copy. We weren't able to get it in the time frame that we were looking for, but I think just the technical presentation yeah. was probably my least favorite part. There was there was some audio things that did that took me out some like buzzing. Yeah. Um, but they didn't last long. There was one scene where they're talking at the front door and there's an airplane overhead. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you made a comment jokingly like, yeah, don't reshoot that scene. It's fine the way it is. Like, why would you continue to shoot a scene when there's an airplane flying overhead? Yeah. And it's crazy because he walks, it's like this one long continuous cut where he walks up the, the walkway, gets to the door, knocks on it. The uncle comes to the door. They're having a conversation and then right in the middle, just... And like an air loud airplane noise flying yeah. overhead. And it's like, okay, just go back and reshoot that scene. Right. Like I know $300,000 is not a lot of money to shoot a movie with, but it's an airplane. You can work around that right. because like, they're not constantly going all the time. Yeah. Like, okay. So you only have a certain amount of money and it's not a lot of money, but don't you still want to make a quality product? reshoot the scene yeah now along those same lines something that did not bother me that i actually kind of liked is that they did not give a crap about showing you the top of the set yeah and i was like <laughs> i'm okay with that because this is low budget and that's just something that they've decided they're not going to worry about yeah so you could see the top of the set inside the house a lot okay and i was absolutely fine with that. i didn't even notice it so yeah <sighs> so at the end of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend this movie? I I have a hard time rec like actively enthusiastically recommending it because it wasn't thrilling. No. But I would recommend it for people for our, for our listeners who aren't really into the genre of horror or thriller like me. I would say go ahead and watch it because it's not horror e or thriller e. It, it's not horrific or thrilling. Yes, thank you. <laughs> not horrific or thrilling <laughs> so go ahead and watch it yeah having watched it this whole thing i i feel like this is a bit of a pass for me yeah you know i feel like i feel like the story has been done better by other movies oh well certainly not necessarily that they come to mind but this whole idea of someone being threatened with demonic possession and cults and people uncovering research like it's feel like it's been done better by other movies and that like you said it's not scary enough to be a real horror movie it's not thrilling enough to be a real thriller movie it just kind of is everybody involved does a great job they put in great performances mm -hmm. no one in this movie is just an awful actor everybody's doing really good with the material they've been giving it's just it just doesn't stand out as something i think people should run out and see yeah yeah, very middle of the road. Yeah. I think the 5 out of 10 on IMDb is accurate. Yeah. Yep. Like the like the 18 wheeler that squashed toe cutter, it's middle of the road. Yes. <laughs> so, we will be back next week with another hiatus movie. Jump on our listeners page to figure out what that one is. In the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter 
at Mad Max Minute. Like us on Facebook and join our listeners page that I just mentioned, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Come to me gently. Open your soul to me. In last glow of twilight, I wait for you silently. Come to me sweetly. Come share the night with me Follow my footsteps and I